We're going through the Gospel of Mark and we're going through it and, and it's, it's a great Gospel because Mark, Mark is the, the fiery one. He doesn't, it's like he wrote it and then cut out all the bits he thought were irrelevant and uh, just kept the exciting bits in there. But as part of that, this morning I'm going to go through some points from uh, parts of Mark chapter 2 and 3, but I'm going to be pulling pieces out of it that I believe are, are relevant to us today, but I think because the Gospels are actually a story of how we see the life of Jesus Christ unfolding, I think it's important that we actually get the whole picture. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Brendan and Kirsty to come up here and they're actually going to read you the entire section that I'm pulling my message from today uh, so that you've actually got the background picture for what I'm about to talk about. Fantastic. You can look on the screen or you can follow in your own Bibles. We're starting at verse 13, chapter 2. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look! Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest. Abiathar. It can be whichever way you like. And broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. 
Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to, de- or de- or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. dissect everything that was read there because uh, we have to stop sometime today. So when we look at passages in in the scripture, especially in the gospels, the first question I think we need to ask is what is Jesus showing us in this? And the second question we need to ask is what is Mark showing us? Now I know you're thinking well surely Mark's showing us the same thing as Jesus. But if you read the four gospels you'll notice that they're all different. And so, obviously, the the writers of the gospel, because of where they were coming from, because of their personalities, because of the revelation that they had, actually speak out of their revelation. So in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is actually showing all those he comes into contact with his authority. In, in In simple terms, that's what Jesus is showing. Mark... He's actually, and Mark is an incredibly excitable person. I don't know whether you feel this bubbling under, underneath uh, what you read, but he, he, he's got a message that he wants, he wants to reach out and slap people with. He, he, Mark's gospel is the grab you by the, the scruff of the neck and slap you around the cheeks and say, don't you get this? Because that's what, he, he's trying to show us that this authority is enabling people to have a new way of thinking. And this new way of thinking brings freedom. And he's also showing us how that if, you, if we refuse to take on a new way of thinking, then we're going to be left in bondage. And so he's excited about the new way of thinking and he's excited about freedom, but he's also depressed about the fact that if the message doesn't get through, people are just going to be left in a terrible place. And so Mark, Mark really gets excited about this. So there's, there's a huge number of important lessons that we could get out of all of those verses that were read. But there are just three things I want to talk about this morning. First of all, I don't know whether you noticed it, but Jesus appears to have a strange selection criteria for disciples. So we'll have a look at that. The second thing is that there's obviously a push from Jesus to change people's thinking. And thirdly, there's obviously this, this thing about the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath for? So I want us to look at those three things this morning. And the first one stems out of Mark chapter 2 verse 14 and it says as he walked along he saw Levi son of Alphaeus sitting at his tax collector's booth and he says follow me and my, be my disciple and so he got up and followed him and you sort of think well I know working for the tax department isn't always popular <laughs> but it's like you're sitting there at work and suddenly this dude walks in and says hey follow me and it's like whoa thank you Jesus <laughs> In fact, that's actually probably what he did say. Um, and it's like, you'd leave? Just like that? Um, and, and of course, the story is even more significant if we, if we recognize the fact this man called Levi is elsewhere called Matthew. 
And he wasn't only one of the 12 disciples, he wrote one of the other Gospels. Some random, off the street. So what, what, so what is Jesus' criteria for picking disciples? And if, if you look at it, and if you look at some of the other people that he picks, it's obvious why Jesus picked Levi. He was a sinner. That's Jesus' one criteria for disciples. He picked sinners. Do you know what the encouraging thing about is? About that is, we all qualify. We can be disciples, and so we look at the disciples often. I think as though they were specially chosen. That Jesus sort of had this plan. You know, I'll pick him and him and him, and I won't touch him. And we, know, we if you look through the God, Jesus asked everybody. There's there's records of the fact that Jesus asked people, rich young rulers, all sorts. He said, "Follow me," and some of them said, "Nope, not doing it." And guess what? They didn't end up being disciples. The people who said, yeah, Jesus, I mean, it's like best friends. Has anybody here got a best friend? Who, who likes to think they picked their best friend? That, that you picked your best friend. You know, you, you, saw, you had all these other friends and you've picked one as a best friend, or possibly two, up to five <laughs> best friends. But sociological research has actually proven that your best friend is often only your best friend because they got there first. Sounds a bit odd, but really your best friend is just the, a good friend that you happened to meet before you met somebody else who might have been your best friend. And that we don't actually choose our friends, they just happen to be the first person we come along who agrees with us enough and is like us enough that we actually form a relationship with and a bond and call them our best friend. There's nothing actually magic, we don't actually choose our best friend, we actually happen to have bumped into them somewhat by random. And Jesus took the same approach with the disciples. It was the first people who said yes that got to be disciples. And so, guess what? Jesus turned sinners into fat people. Because Jesus is looking for fat people. Fat people are faithful, available, and teachable. Levi showed the first response Jesus was looking for. He was available. He'd had enough of this tax collecting business. He was available. And you notice that a lot of people were available. The, the, the number of disciples grew to a large number, several hundred, until it got to the upper room, which whittled them down a bit. You see, because a lot of people are available, but not everybody's faithful. And some people are available and faithful, but not all of them are teachable. And so, as disciples, we all qualify because we're sinners. But then Jesus whittles us down because he says, are you going to be faithful? He says, are you going to be available? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, I love you, Jesus, but I'm busy. And sometimes it's teachable. We actually have to be humble enough to actually change a lot of things. This is where this new thinking comes in. We actually have to be teachable, which actually means admitting that we don't know best. Men are very difficult to teach because we know best. You ask anybody except your wife and they'll tell you you know best. But unfortunately, she knows best. So we're all sinners and most of us here have said yes to Jesus. But how much Jesus can use us depends entirely on how faithful, available 
and teachable we can become. We read that Jesus went to a celebration at Levi's place. Sounded like a good party. Much to the dismay of the religious types. Because what it says is that everybody is invited to the Lord's Supper. The only division is created by those people who refuse the invitation. Once you've accepted the Lord's Supper, Jesus says, it's all together. We're all in it together. Let's not differentiate between good people and not so good people. All we've got to do is be faithful, available and teachable. The second point is Jesus requires a change in our thinking. In Mark 2.18 it says, Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus. I like the way, some people. You know who those people were, don't you? Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Now I bet John's disciples, if they read the Bible, which is probably unlikely, they would not have liked to have been compared to the Pharisees. Because they were quite different. But they shared one thing in common. They were pre-Messianic. What that means is that their ministry started before Jesus came on the scene. And so Jesus has actually come as a turning point in the way things are done. And so his, his answer to that question comes in the form of two parables. And I don't know whether you've noticed this, but these, these are actually the first two parables that Mark uses in his gospel. And I just, I just want to talk about the second parable, because it talks about wine, which is a favourite subject of mine. And it, it says it's, it's disastrous to pour new, fresh wine into an old wineskin. Now, we make wine slightly differently these days. Basically, back then, what happened was that you, you partially fermented this wine and then you stuck it in a skin uh, to continue its fermentation, often while you travelled some distance. And the wine continued to ferment. And get, Do you know what wine gives off when it ferments? Carbon dioxide gas. And so it's a bit like putting a bunch of fermented grapes in a balloon. The balloon is going to actually expand. And the, and the wine skins expand. So if you had a new skin and it was flexible and, and, and strong, it, it would bulge somewhat. But if you put that new wine into an old wine skin that had got sort of brittle, it would burst, make a heck of a mess and waste good wine. And so what Jesus was saying with this analogy was that he was bringing new wine. He was bringing a new way of thinking into the culture, into the population. And he was saying, if I bring in a new way of thinking and your brains are brittle and unresponsive, what's going to happen is I'm going to blow your mind. Which several people complained about, but he healed them afterwards. Okay, scrap that for next time. <laughs> so salvation, which is available through Jesus Christ, could not be mixed with the old Judaic system of religion. Jesus wasn't bringing something which could be tacked on to an old way of thinking. He was bringing something that was so revolutionary that people had to leave their old way of thinking behind and adopt something completely new. I mean, who agrees? That's fairly nerve-wracking. If you've ever lost your job and, and gone to Centrelink and they said, well, you need retraining. We want you to do this. It's just so far removed from what you were doing before that you sort of think, how am I ever going to... It, it's a, a real your mind becomes set in a certain way and to change it like that involves a lot of creaking 
and, and straining and blood vessel bursting stuff to actually be... But who knows? I mean, we can do it. Research is now showing that not only is the, is the brain made of plastic... Well, there's it, brain plasticity. I don't think it's actually plastic. But the, the research has shown that somebody who's 80 years old actually has a better chance of, of attaining their degree, should they live to 83, than a 19-year-old because their brain is actually more adaptable or more um, better trained than a 19-year-old. And if they actually believe that they can learn something new, guess what? The the, your brain believes you if you think it can, it can learn new things. This whole, whole idea of you can't teach a nog, a nog? <laughs> an old dog new tricks is rubbish. And the, th the thing that stopped us is that we haven't believed. We've seen that as people get older, we think, well, you get old, your body stops working, your brain must stop working as well. You, we, uh, you get set in your ways. You get set in your ways because you tell yourself you're getting set in your ways. If, if you want to take on new things, guess what? People over 50 are better at it than most other people. <laughs> right. Anyway, less of the political messages. Um, so, does that mean that fasting isn't relevant today? Not at all. It's the motivation for our fasting that has to be right. We've, the, the idea of fasting back then was it was following a ritual. And you felt good about it because you'd followed the rules. You'd fasted, I'm a good person. I did it Thursday, Monday. Strangely enough, the Pharisees decided that Monday and Wednesday, I think it was, were the days for fasting. If you did it right, then you were good. But these days, if, the, the only reason for a Christian to fast is to help them get cl closer to Christ. To do something which actually makes them focus not on external things, but focus on God. And fa fasting is actually a great way of doing that. But in terms of you're a good Christian because you fasted yesterday. Forget it. Last thing. The purpose of the Sabbath. I love this. Mark 2, 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? My thought immediately is, Why are they pinching some poor farmer's grain? <laughs> And stealing on the Sabbath. But apparently I did read up that in the Old Testament, it was actually regarded as quite proper if you wandered through somebody's grain field, which apparently was also quite okay, that you were allowed to eat whatever you, you could eat while you were walking through, but you weren't allowed to carry anything away. And it was a sort of a traveller's benefit, if you like, if you were walking through. You could get a few heads of grain and eat them as you went through, but it's... If you had them in your hand when you got to the edge, then that was stealing. So you had to stand there and eat them all before you crossed the fence. Or... So that, that bit was quite, quite reasonable. But it was this differentiation between the fact that they were grabbing heads of wheat and eating them. And the Pharisees said, well, that's harvesting. That's work. And so Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. See, what's, all Sabbath means is it's a day of rest. Now, who knows, if you have to follow rules on your day of rest, it's not a day of rest. It's like, you know, one rule that, that my wife has is that I, I, I do the edges of the lawn on Saturday morning. 
See, I find that spoils my Saturday. <laughs> and she has been very kind and said I only have to do it every second Saturday. Uh, but the thing is that it, the Sabbath is a rest. The Sabbath was designed by God to actually energize us. It's interesting that God rested on the seventh day. Why, why did he rest on the seventh day? Our immediate thought is he, he was stuffed. He'd been creating for six days, so he thought, had enough of this, let's have a rest. Don't know about you, but I don't think God gets tired. He actually showed us something, that he created the world and then decided it was time to enjoy it. He took a rest. And one of the things that, that we get wrong in our society is that because we tend to start our week on Monday... You look at most calendars now, and the week starts on Monday. My calendar starts on Sunday. Because you can change it if you know how to get into Windows and change your calendar to start on Sunday. Because we've got into this mindset of we work all week so that we can collapse on the weekend and recover from that week. We work to rest. God's intention was that we rest to work. Sunday, which is the day we use as a Sabbath, should be a day when we come together, we energize ourselves, we come into the presence of our God, we pray for each other, we get healed, we get inspired by the word of God, and we go out into the next week and we kill it. Figuratively speaking. We are on top of it. You know, Monday is the best day of the week. Because, you know, who, who knows? Because when Sunday is the end of the week, Monday is the beginning of a dreary, dull working week and you plod through it and you get through Monday, Tuesday's a bit better and then there's hump day and then, you know, thank God it's Friday. It needs to be thank God it's Sunday because I am going to get prepared for the week ahead. I am going to go out there and I am going to be the hands and the feet of God. I am going to be the mouthpiece of God. I am going to bless people. I'm going to encourage people. I am going to be the light of the world, the sight of the earth. Who thinks that on Monday morning? It's about time you did. Because that's what the Sabbath is for. The Sabbath is to energize us, to actually get us ready for a fabulous week ahead. So, Jim, Monday morning? Yes. Thanks, Jim Partners, for that awesome encouragement there. In the next verse, in Mark 3, verse 4, Jesus is in a synagogue and a man comes to him with a withered hand. Nobody actually says anything, but he can tell that they're looking for an excuse to bring him down. And so he asks the question, is the Sabbath a day to do good in the sight of God or a day to do evil? Because if he neglected to heal that man, he was doing evil. And he looked at, it says he looked around at them angrily. Do you know that is the only mention in the New Testament of Jesus being angry? Now I know some of you are going to say, hang on, Matthew 21, 12, he knocked over all those tables and whipped people. Doesn't actually say he was angry. Doesn't say he was having a good time. But... It, he, he was actually proving a point. He wasn't actually angry. But here he, he was angered and deeply saddened by their attitude. Because they knew they were wrong. They didn't answer him because they knew he was right. 
He said, hold out your hand. The man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Because they served the Sabbath, they actually killed or plotted to kill on the Sabbath. We're not to, the Sabbath is not for us to serve a religious reminder. It's actually God brought it in for our benefit to help us to become better people, to help us to rise and live to our potential. So what's the significance in Mark's story of Jesus? Mark wanted his readers to realize that Jesus was authenticated as the Son of God by his demonstration of God's deep compassion. He heals our diseases, he forgives our sins, and he shows us that what God desires is not a legalistic relationship with human beings, but a relationship marked by loving concern. The love which actually infused the law at its giving, because the law actually was given out of love, has been lost because God's people thought of it as rules to follow in order to please God rather than guidelines showing them how to love him and to love one another. What about the Pharisees? They witnessed this whole thing. And by their reaction, they demonstrated to everybody that their approach to religion had no marks of the love that God actually wanted with his people. Jesus chooses sinners for disciples. Jesus blows our minds and Jesus gives us rest. We are the children of God. We are empowered, inspired and encouraged by our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because we're good. Because sinners are chosen as disciples. We can be fat instead. Faithful, available, teachable. We need to be open enough in our thinking to accept new things that God brings into our lives. We're not called to be closed mind. We're called to be open to people. It doesn't mean we agree with everyone. I did a, a bit of a demonstration last night with a, a three-dimensional letter, which was a B. I think I've actually preached on this a few times. When you hold it one way, somebody writes the word book, and you hold it the other way, and somebody writes the word dog, because they've seen it from the other side, because it's a D from the other side. And you ask the question, who's right? Of course, they both are. And you sort of think, well, how could two people have different answers by looking at the same thing? Because it's a matter of our perspective. And we actually have to sometimes give grace to other people's perspective. But it doesn't mean you lose your own. The, the one thing that we as Western Christians often get wrong is the idea that if somebody else is right, we must be wrong. And we hate to be wrong. Even worse than we hate other people being right. But the thing is that we have to recognise that our rightness, our perspective is right, but it doesn't actually mean that we can dismiss other people's perspectives. And we need to be open-minded enough to actually see the body of Christ as a whole that is actually God's vehicle for saving this earth. And lastly, that we do need to rest. We do need to take time to actually stop the busyness of this world and focus on God, even if it's just for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. It's a good start. And it is a start. It's not the end. 
Sunday is the first day of the week. But we need to take time out every day to recharge, rejuvenate, to reconnect with our God. Because that's what makes us a powerhouse. So I want to ask a question before I finish this morning. If you're a sinner who wants to be a disciple, if you want your mind blown and rest that inspires you to do more, but you've never accepted that Jesus Christ is the ultimate and final authority in your life to actually help you do this, then now's your chance. Can I ask everybody to close their eyes? If you're here today and you would say you're not a Christian because you don't follow Jesus Christ, you've never actually asked Jesus to be a part of your life, then all Jesus is waiting for is an invitation. And we do that with a a short prayer that just says, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I want you to be part of me. I want to get rid of everything else that's not including you in my life. And I want to start afresh. And acknowledging that sets us on a path of relationship with our God. I'd love to pray that prayer with somebody this morning. If you're here and you're not a Christian, but you'd like to take that step. Well, nobody's looking around. If you want to pop your hand up so I can see it, I'll acknowledge it and put it down and we can pray together to invite Jesus into your life. Is there anybody here this morning who wants to do that now? Okay, can I have your eyes open and you on your feet? Raise your hands above your heads, stretch a little. I want us to pray. Who knows that praying while you're asleep doesn't actually do much for your prayer life. I've found that if you're praying for something, it's good to get your body ready. If you're going to pray warfare, don't do it in an armchair. If you're going to ask for the blessing of God or if you want something from God, get on your knees. If you're excited about something, jump around the room. But, you know, let your body know what your spirit knows. So, Lord, this morning I pray that you have opened our minds this morning, that you have challenged our way of thinking, that you have encouraged us that no matter how we are feeling, no matter what we believe our our state of sin is, that we are none of us disqualified from being one of your disciples. Lord, we thank you that we are becoming more faithful, that we are available to do your work, and that we are teachable through your word. We pray this week that we will have opportunities to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, to show people that the kingdom of God is here on earth today and his power reigns for we are his people. In Jesus' name, amen.